Welcome to First Draft for this week. I'm Chris Sproud, joined by Todd McShay, who sounds better than ever, Daniel. Whole new audio system in there. I don't know. Do we even need to introduce Mel? Because Todd sounds so good. Sproul. Oh, wow. I just nice. sit here for an hour and listen to Todd just and those melodious tones and this voice quality is unbelievable. I don't know my phone Todd, breaking in and out. Daniel, wow. you're a big mu- music guy. Did you do any, leave Todd any instrumentation or anything he can do up there? No, there's I thought a about big leaving, box. Yeah, there's a MIDI keyboard he can play whenever he wants to add some sound behind it. He okay, can do good, that. good. Wow, this is, this is a whole new Todd. But guys, not taking anything away from Todd's new audio setup. This is a, this is kind of a crazy story for me. I've, I've worked on the draft with you guys for going on 10 years, and I'm trying to remember a case where we felt like, not that just that there were medical concerns on a quarterback, but that Mel, we could be, you could be drafting a quarterback that you never really were able to work out to the degree you wanted to. Maybe not even close to 100%. I'm obviously talking about Tua, and the fact that this guy, we've got plenty of tape on him, but he he left this season, you know, with a a pretty significant hip injury, and here you are, you're the Miami Dolphins at five, you're the Los Angeles Chargers at six, and you have to sit there and think, all right, what what am I getting into here if I take this guy? Can he play in 2020? Is he going to start on the pup list? There's all kinds of implications, Mel. And there's a bunch of layers I want to get into, but yeah. just from the start, are you changing the way you're thinking about him at this point? I don't think you can change anything except try to react to what you hear from the teams, and Todd can react to this as well medically, what you're hearing. I mean, it's, it's a leap of faith that you're going to have to take with Hua to it based on what your medical people, your experts in that field with three lower extremity injuries, determining how you feel about drafting him when you do in the top ten or wherever it may be if you're Miami at five. Uh, to think about 2020, I'm not worried about 2020. If you're Miami, I mean, keep in mind, this is a team that was you know, tied for last in sacks allowed. Uh, they were last in rushing yards. Uh, they didn't do anything. You know, they had nothing to really hang their hat on. They scrapped. They battled. They were competitive. But they have a lot of work to do from a personnel standpoint. But I don't think you worry about 2020. If you have to redshirt him, Patrick Mahomes didn't have an injury and was redshirted except for that final game against Denver. That was it. Um, so I don't have a problem with sitting him out and realizing this is all about 2021 and years beyond that, 15 years beyond that for two attacks. I, I think as long as you feel like in year two we can get him out there ready to roll and year one's going to be just getting him back and acclimated, I wouldn't have any fear of drafting at number five if I'm Miami. Yeah, this is this is one of the most interesting case studies, I guess, or evaluations that we've had to go through because he, I would argue, is the most talented player in the draft. I mean, you could say Chase Young, but to me, if when he's healthy, when he's right, Tua Tungavailoa is – He's the franchise quarterback, and you have all the tape to make the evaluation. That's the thing. You've got 24 starts from the last two years. You've got that national championship game where he came in in the second half and and won that game, plus eight other games that he played in that season, and so you know what he is as a player. It has nothing to do with with that aspect of the evaluation. It's It really all comes down to the medical. And that's where you've got to work as an organization. You know, your, your area scout, the Southeast scout is, is going to tell you what he thinks. Then you're going to cross check with whoever's doing the quarterbacks for your organization. And then you're going to, you know, talk to your director of college scouting and all the other personnel people who have been around and have done all the background on him. Then it goes to the GM and the owner working with the medical staff. And that's, that's what we can't tell you right now because they don't know and i've talked to multiple gms and it's like you know it's just a wait and see and then the owner's got to put the stamp on it and say okay if if the medical staff says yeah he's we think he's going to be good he's progressing properly we think he's going to be there maybe halfway through the season and definitely in 2021 then the owner's got to you know say yeah yeah go ahead pull the trigger but if the owner doesn't and the gm is is questionable on it then, you know, what do you do? So it's it's going to be really interesting to see as we get closer, does he continue to 
progress and meet all the medical standards for each individual team. And that's the other thing, too. It's not just a league thing. It's each team. It's Miami at five, the Chargers at six, the Panthers at seven, and so on and so forth. Each individual medical staff has got to make that determination. And what's fascinating to me now is whichever team – and you, my guess is right now, my guess is that teams are going to be looking hard at moving up to go get them. And if you're if you are looking to go get Tua, you've got to move up ahead of five at Miami, as you said. The Chargers, you know how how do you not look at the Chargers as an organization that needs a player like Tua to first of all just to to be that quarterback of the future. Second of all, just to bring some energy to the organization. It's absolutely a fair question, Mel. I guess I wonder for you mm-hmm. if if there's any possibility. That, well, there's two things here. One, Miami can draft two, and knowing, by the way, that they also have two other first-round picks. Yeah, but so they might not... need one of them to move up a couple spots to make sure that they can get them. Well, there's that. and the, But secondly, at least you know that you've positioned yourself not just to get talent onto the field in 2020, but then you're also kind of in a redshirt situation with your quarterback. So you, yeah. you, you hit both things. But then secondly, it also gives... It also gives uh, the Dolphins the thought that, you know, I mean, if, if they have similar grades on Herbert and Tua, factoring in Tua's injury, you know, they also have some cover there to take him. But, I, Mel, I tend to agree with Todd. I think that there's a real thought here that if you really like one of these guys in the way that, you know, Andy Reid in Kansas City liked Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have to get to three or four. It's a lot still to be determined, and I think we're trying to, to put a, a period at the end of a sentence that you can't right now. And mm-hmm. all the talk about moving up to get a guy who is really questionable from an injury standpoint. Mm-hmm. We don't even know what condition he's going to be in, when he's going to be ready to play. Will we get back to where he needs to be? And you're talking about teams giving up a lot to move up a few spots to get him and take him ahead of a quarterback who is physically gifted is does have the big strong frame and has and checks every box you want from that standpoint that would be justin herbert now the one box he doesn't check is that instinctive ability that you need a quarterback the two has that maybe justin herbert doesn't even though he's an incredibly intelligent uh you know kid i think when you look at trading up you say, okay, you know, you got to really believe in what your medical people are telling you. And you also have to have a plan, a realistic plan in place of how you're going to handle him. And I don't care who you are. I think it's in everybody's best interest to say, hey, knowing what we know about him, let's let that body get back to 100%. Let's not risk another injury on mm-hmm. top of three. It's not, and it isn't just the one, the hip. It's ankle. It's three lower extremity injuries you're dealing with. It's more complicated than just one here. So I think if you do get them at five or you trade up to get them and you're going to take that leap of faith, then you better, and everybody better be on the same page next year, this coming year, 2020, of how you're going to handle Tua. And also, the other thing is, if he gets down to a certain point, then you say, okay, without the medical concern, without everybody being scared, he wouldn't be here. He'd be up there at the top battling Burrow. So you got to factor that in as well. It's risk-reward all the way with Tua. Right. And somebody's going to take him. Uh, we don't have all the information yet. Nobody does. Uh, so I think to talk about this in defined, we know terms is ridiculous. We don't know right now. Nobody knows. We're just let, guessing. Let but me I ask think you this if, question, yeah. Kuiper. Mm-hmm, sure. If he does get passed in terms of medical and the Bengals are sitting there and say, you know what? We can live a year without him, or, or maybe we get a half a year out of him, but moving forward, you think there's any shot that Tua goes ahead of Burrow? I would say there's always a chance. I mean, I, I've learned in this business for 40 years. Baker and Kyle. I'm just spitballing. I would say it's a 90% chance. If that's the case, and, and there's no way you're going to know 100%, and nobody can say, I guarantee you Tua's never having another injury. We've had significant injuries now with Tua. Multiple. Three. That's not one. It's not two. It's three. So I would say no to your question. That Burrow, because of how he played, people talk about his frame, but they said the same thing about Eli Manning and he was the Iron Man at quarterbacks. I don't want to care. I don't care about people saying one guy is more, has the body to hold up. The NFL allows you to hold up now. It's doing the best it can to have quarterbacks hold up. And I said, as I said, Eli, everybody wondered about. So I, I do not think come late April, what, April 23rd, that you're going to hear two at number one over Joe Burrow. Yeah, and I, we've, we've talked about it before, though. The, the injury thing over the last 10 years is real. I mean, it really is when you go back and you look at, 
you know, Sam Bradford, RG3, um, Deshaun Watson, all these quarterbacks that have been injured and cut, um, Josh, well, Josh Rosen, not to this point, but all, all, all the quarterbacks who have been injured in college that have been first round draft picks have gone on to have injury troubles. And again, it's not necessarily the same injury. What's that? Matt Leinert was one. He came he, back. We thought he was going to be a 1-1 potentially. Came back. He had a shoulder. He went number 10 overall. It, it, it chased him a little bit. Yeah, but I'm, the, the point is that if you have a tendency to get injured in college, and I'm, I'm going back and forth here, but I'm just, I was kind of looking at it thinking, you know what, if he gets passed um, medically and, and Cincinnati's sitting there and they look at, well, it's Burrow who's been durable, but he's got kind of a lean frame and he's taken a lot of shots in the last couple of years and you never know. Or Tua, who has a, a history of injury and has struggled to stay healthy and has not been able to play a full season as a starter. But if we like Tua more than Burrow, what do you do at that point? But again, going back to my, my point here is that You've got to study the history on it, and history tells you that these guys, if they're getting injured in college, as a first-round draft pick, it's very likely that they're going to wind up getting injured and having having trouble staying healthy in the NFL. All right, Mel, I got a fun one here. Sure. Last year, we saw Mayock and Gruden get together and basically draft a Clemson-Bama championship game. They are sitting with the 19th and number 12 pick. We know, I've been told by Todd McShay on this podcast that he doesn't think Gruden is sold on Carr long term. I think that there's more evidence than just Todd saying that to back that up. And secondly, we already know they've been out there and said, well, if Brady's on the market, yeah, we'll kick the tires on that guy. So bottom line, that quarterback situation is unsettled. They pretty much have the ammo just in the first round to get up to, you know, say four. Could you see the loss... Vegas Raiders being in the Tua market, knowing that they have Carr under contract for this coming year, and they so they have that redshirt option built in. And being with Gruden all these years, Sod, and you've been in these meetings, uh, yeah, he's quarterback. I mean, he's always you know, been frustrated. He didn't have a chance to get his quarterback and in the draft, and never had a chance at Tampa and, and Oakland Rich and again did a great job. But it's not the guy that he brought in. So uh, to have him go out and evaluate these guys and say, "This is my guy." We thought Kyler Murray maybe last year. Well, they weren't going to get him because Arizona was going to take him. But it would have been interesting if he was there. What John would have done and Mike Mayock would have done. Um, yeah, that sounds like. It's something with Brady, but you keep hearing the Chargers and other things. But yeah, to move up to get the quarterback, you know, Tua, you know, you have the medical, and that's still there. Burrow, the one-year guy, and Herbert, who is people still have questions about. Um, and there's Derek Carr sitting there saying, "Am I ever going to get any respect from this organization? <laughs> Am I ever going to do enough to, to satisfy anybody?" Uh, there were some issues around the quarterback again that they have to address. I had him taking C.D. Lamb with 12 and coming back with Kenneth Murray, linebacker at 19. Both Oklahoma Sooners. You mentioned what they did uh, with the the big programs last year. Go to Oklahoma. Team always seems like in the Final Four and get those two kids. It can help with two key positions of need and help also with one of them help your quarterback. Um, yeah, Gruden I, with quarterbacks, Todd, we never say he won't make a move to get a quarterback. Um, can he do it? We'll see. If you drop all the way down to 12, you are taking yourself out of the range to get a guy that you target. So it, you're talking about a risky move from those teams that want to move down that far to 12. You're losing some elite guys if you do that at a variety of positions. Yeah, and I... It's interesting because I think he's had the most success with veteran quarterbacks. Rich Gannon, Brad Johnson, you're absolutely right. Yep, and because he's been forced to. Even Brian Greasy, you know, yeah. he he likes being in a room with a yeah, guy. Chris, who can, yeah, Chris Sims was the one the one quarterback he did draft with. Chris Sims what was that in like the fourth round. Yeah, and and Chris Sims has obviously great you know football instincts and intelligence and and understands the game coming from from a football family. So. I guess my point is that he he really desires someone in in that room that understands the game and can keep up with him, and he wants a dude that can be with him in the room. But he also spending time with him as you did, Mel, more than I did. But just spending time with him, and being around him a little, and I think the time off that he had from the from the game when he was working with ESPN, he got fascinated by the the numbers match up with the mobile quarterback and what the colleges were doing and the different things. And, and I think there's an aspect of him that wants to try that. 
and, and see what it's like and see if he can implement a little bit more of the mobility into the position. So you know, who's out there that's a veteran that you can bring in and, and do Brady. that? And if, what's that? Tom Brady? Brady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, versus <laughs> bringing in whether you know, it's a Tua or someone later that's a, a rookie. So I'll be interested to see what they do because I, I – I have no sense. I I did think a year ago that Kyler Murray was a player that would have fit exactly what John wanted to try to do moving forward, and I don't think Derek Carr is the answer for him long term, but I don't know what the answer is right now in terms of what they want to do moving <laughs> it'll, forward. It'll be interesting. John has a 10-year deal. Okay, well, we're Yeah, he doesn't care. You know, now. John. Yeah, we're year three now coming up, and there's Derek Carr. So we, we in year seven, we're still going to be talking about Derek Carr's replacement. So, uh, again, at some point you're going to have to win, and obviously they made a, a nice jump up this year. They were actually being talked about as a potential playoff team at times this year, and it, it didn't happen. But if you look at, at quarterbacks, so Marcus Mariota, he liked them coming out of Oregon. Uh, but, you know, you're bringing Mariota in with Carr, that could be a situation like Tannehill with Mariota, where Mariota flips the script a little bit and says, okay, Tannehill was, uh, you know, I was your guy, and Tannehill came yeah, I don't in, think Mariota and I'm, has I'm the watching. Fire now, I can go him, and do the same thing to Carr that Tannehill did to me. Maybe if John feels that way about Mariota, you'd do something like that rather than using a, make giving up draft picks to try to get a quarterback. All right, so let's, let's close this out. I got one more question here. With the Tua mystery segment, which is this, we keep talking about these teams, you know, obviously at number one, obviously at number five, obviously at number six. Okay, let's pick out a team that's going to jump ahead of these guys, jump ahead of Miami, jump ahead of the Chargers to get one of these guys. If, if they love a Herbert, if they love a Tua, who's your team drafting after them? Mel, I'll let you get started. Who, who's, your, who's your team that's going to get up into position your Kansas City that's going to jump up and get their Mahomes, even if maybe they have a quarterback in place for 2020. Yeah, I'm looking late to see who could maybe make that enormous move way, way up there to get that guy. Uh, and you have, you know, Jarrett Stidham's in New England. Uh, are they sold on Jarrett Stidham? Uh, yeah, I don't know if New England would, uh, at that point. Um, you know, the other teams on Tampa Bay with Jameis at 14. The obvious one, Todd, is Carolina at seven, being behind the Chargers and being behind Miami uh, at seven, figuring, okay, I'll jump up to four. Giants could still get maybe Isaiah Simmons, if not the big offensive tackle that they covet to help out uh, their quarterback in Daniel Jones. So maybe it is Carolina. Uh, that would have that opportunity from a team picking early. If you go late, I mentioned some of those teams, Todd. I don't know if you have anybody else in mind. I don't think they will, but I think Indy's, Indianapolis is interesting. At, what are they, 13, right? Yep. Yeah, there's talk about Have you heard about this whole Philip Rivers? Uh, Jeremy Fowler keeps bringing that up on the Dari Mel show every Saturday when we ask him. He's our NFL expert, comes on, Todd. He says uh, the ideal fit because of Frank Reich, Working with Rivers, yep. being there in Indy with that offensive line, we know they put a lot of money like Dallas did in that offensive line in Indy. Helped the quarter. They were obviously put it together to help Andrew Luck win a Super Bowl. Luck retires, and now you got Jacoby Brissett. They got a good running back in Marlon Mack. Add a couple receivers to help out Hilton, and all of a sudden, uh, is Philip Rivers a good fit in Indy? I think that would work. I mean, I do, and I, you know, there there are people in the organization. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks, I think. That really like Jacoby Brissett. There are some people in the organization that think that he, you know, he's got a limit, and I, I tend to think that they they should upgrade the position. I, I think Brissett has played well enough. If you're great around him, but to me, I, if you can get a Rivers and then maybe you know give Brissett a little time to continue to learn, or even, you know, who's to say you can't bring in. Rivers and and then draft a uh, Justin Herbert. You can do or, it all, or just yeah, or, or another quarterback in the on day two, and try to develop him on the back end. And you can't have enough of these guys. We know that. And so if you have if you have Rivers who's going to play a couple of years, and then a Brissett competing with a, a younger player, what's wrong with that? At worst case, you can have the New England model and wind up shipping off a, a Brissett or somebody or whoever the young guy is for for some draft picks down the road. One thing that stands out, as you both know, is that just because you make a move at quarterback, as Todd just pointed to, say you add a Rivers, it doesn't put you out of the put you out of the mix. Whether it's a veteran, you know, you add an Andy Dalton. In some ways, that gives you cover to be aggressive in getting the quarterback you want. I mean, I, I 
It's a much different case, but I think back to when Seattle made their splashy offseason move and mm-hmm. bet on the upside of a certain Matt Flynn, and then they just drafted this guy out of Wisconsin exactly. you know, in the third round. And again, it, it, it provided you cover because, you okay, at least we know who our week one starter is. We just hope he's not our week one starter next year. So... Yeah, and also, guys, keep in mind when we talk about Mahomes, Mahomes was in that, and Watson were in that 10 to 12 range and mm-hmm. not way up here where we're talking about. And also keep in mind, if you put Burrow at one, he's out of the loop. You know, Miami's got to get a quarterback and the Chargers have to be thinking about that in Carolina. So you're at five, six, and seven. Those teams do not want to lose out on quarterbacks either. So, uh, and I know that there's a chance somebody could jump up, but they're really talking about only two quarterbacks now. If you take, and there's mixed opinion on Herbert and Tua has the medical. So, uh, this whole notion, we're going to give up everything to go up. One is a quarterback who people don't know when he's going to be ready. And the other one is a, a kid who we don't know if he's even going to be great. So it's not like these are givens. There's no consensus being built because of the medical on Tua and because of Herbert not having that wow game quite yet, and not uh, and there may seem to be something missing with him that nobody really identifies. I say it's a lack of great instincts for the position. We'll see, but that's why I think it's going to be very interesting to see where these quarterbacks land. Yeah, it will be fascinating because free agency is going to give us some really new and interesting looks, and some of those, you know, might be essentially smoke screens for what teams are really thinking in the draft at the position. Uh we're still so early on in this. Well, the dominoes the start falling with one guy. One guy determines everything. And right. you guys know it's Tom Brady. Once Tom Brady identifies and moves on, then the dominoes start falling. Yep. And that's where it makes it really a lot of fun to try to follow where these veteran quarterbacks are going to end up. All right. We've hit the quarterbacks, the two of mystery, the trade-up options. Now we are going to dive into something we do every year, which is to go a little bit deeper on each team through the league. We're going to display our East Coast bias right off the top here by starting with the AFC East. We will jump into that. Todd, the Miami Dolphins are the team that gives you the, the biggest workout when you're putting together your mock draft because they got three first-round picks in your latest one. They get their guy, this quarterback we've heard of, Alabama. They also got Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle out of Georgia. Let's see, who else did you give them? Oh, Zach Bond, the versatile linebacker out of Wisconsin. But bottom line, I guess you can't really go wrong. It's the Miami Dolphins, a team we thought might be 1-15, got their way to 5-11 and through some Fitz magic. Really, they have needs all over the place. So is this one of those just take-the-best-player type drafts, as they all should be? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, you, that's the answer to the question. I, I, I think you mentioned it, quarterback, linebacker, offensive tackle. They need another edge rusher. They need linebackers that can cover. Um, you know, the, the offensive tackle class, we know the quarterback situation. We already talked about it. So are they going to move up or are they going to stick there at five and, and hope that they get to a tongue of Iloa from Alabama? And, or do they, do they want to go with Herbert coming out of Oregon? We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But clearly, quarterback is the number one need. After that, you know, this, the offensive tackle class is interesting, not great. It's one of those groups where I think there's such a drop off after the first four or five guys that I think they'll get, as we say, overdrafted. Jedrick Wills, to me, from Alabama, is is the best offensive tackle in this class that, based off of the tape that I've studied so far. And then you go to you know Tristan uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, um, Josh Jones, Kuiper's guy from, <laughs> from Houston. Here we go. <laughs> uh, Mackay Becton from Louisville, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, in no particular order. But those are some of the names that you, you could hear when the Dolphins pick with their second pick, I think. Yeah. In the first round. And then, you know, what's available at edge? What's available at linebacker? We'll have to wait and see. But I, I think Zach Bond is one of those players that's a possibility. Patrick Queen from LSU, who I, I thought was absolutely dominant during the SEC championship game and the, the uh, playoffs, would, uh, would be a possibility later in the first round as well. Yeah, last in the NFL in sacks. Tied yep. for last in the NFL in sacks allowed. 
last in rushing yards, 27th in rushing yards allowed. So if you talk about all the positions involved in getting those horrific stats, uh, you can pretty much go anywhere you want. So, yeah, Miami uh, is a team that's got a lot of work to do, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see those first-round picks. That Minka deal, the Minka Fitzpatrick deal, didn't, it wasn't a bad thing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The 18th pick. Would you rather have the 18th pick uh, or Minka? You know, for, from, for Pittsburgh, who everybody thought that was a horrible trade, uh, it turned out to be pretty good. This is the year, though, for the Dolphins, right? I mean, if you're going to rebuild an organization and you've got three potential top ten quarterbacks, what you know, you can debate it all you want, mm-hmm. and there are different opinions. But if you need a quarterback and you've needed one for this long, and you bring in Josh Rosen, and whether you like him or not, Miami clearly it's not his guy. It's not their guy. So you've got picks 5, 18, and 26. You've been kind of building and pushing it off to this point. If you don't nail this draft, I don't I don't see the Dolphins having success in the near future. And this is, this is the time. I mean, this is the time to strike. The Bills maybe have their quarterback moving forward. We can debate that later. The Patriots are finally in a transition. If you're a Dolphins fan or any other, you know, fan in the AFC East, you finally have a shot to like maybe potentially overtake the, the Belichick reign. And so this is the year you've got to strike with five, 18 and 26. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to overlook how important this draft is for the Dolphins, for any of these organizations, but especially the Dolphins who have been planning for this year specifically. And, you know, the thing that stands out to me is we look at the we look at the Dolphins and we say three first round picks. All right. You're going to get something. Mel, let's let's do a little throwback here to a handful of years ago. Cleveland Browns, two straight years, have two first round picks. You're going to load up, right? So you get Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel one year. And you get Danny Shelton and Cameron Irving the next year. I mean, if you don't nail these, you just yeah. you are where the Browns are, and it, it, it's amazing because you know I think the the Oakland Raiders now the Las Vegas Raiders last year had a really productive first round, but man, you if you don't hit these, if you don't well, hit we'll these see. when you it's have still, a couple shots to do it right, man, holy still, cow, what a setback it is! Because as Todd said, this was the plan, this was your year, you had it all lined up. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Johnson has said it. If you watch any pieces with Jimmy Johnson on NFL uh, Network when they do those uh, uh, shows, it's you know, he says it again. He said it back when we had our draft meetings, that you can have all the picks you want. You better make those picks count. The Oakland Raiders, it's still to be the Las Vegas Raiders now. It's still to be determined. With right. Farrell as early as he went, Josh Allen had a little more sacks. He's better coming off the edge. Uh, Abram's got to stay healthy. You know, we don't know. He's, you know, he's hurt. So that's, those were two of your three first-round picks. Right. Josh Jacobs, a really good running back, got him at the end of the first round. We'll see on the other guys, but I don't want to act like that was an A-plus draft quite yet because we still have still questions to be answered there. But uh, So certainly for, uh, for where Miami is, the chance is there. It seems like they have the right head coach. The team seems like they've bought in uh, and they played hard and they didn't quit. And, and it, I think now to say, okay, we've defined, we, we feel like we have the right coach. These players, uh, obviously the talent level has to get a lot better. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll be assessing this draft three, four years down the road, but this is the draft that's going to make or break whether Miami can keep up because those other teams, two of those teams have great young quarterbacks. We yep. have to, can't, you can't debate that. Josh Allen and Sam Darnold are great young quarterbacks. And, uh, yeah, people can take shots at Darnold all they want. They can take shots at Allen all they want. Uh, but, and, Internally, you can rest assured that the Buffalo Bills and New York Jets feel they have. They're not wondering. They feel they have their quarterback. New England does not, and Miami right now does not. And this is that's. I mean, that's why the Dolphins. It's so important for them this year. You, Brian Flores, is a really good football coach, and and we all know that. And we saw that as as it continued to develop later in the year last year. Chris Greer, I believe is a very good evaluator as the general manager, but you know, this is it. They've got to come together and they've got to find the right guy and they've got to make a decision too. like all these draft picks that we have, including as we mentioned three in the first round, are we going to package some of them to move up or as history tells us, should we stay put and, and try to just play the, the numbers game, the odds game and, and take three players in the, in the first round and, and take advantage of all these picks that we have because 
listen, five sounds good, and it's great to have Tua, but Tua comes with injury history, and I would rather have three picks than to package a couple of them to move up three spots to make sure that we go get Tua, to be quite honest. And just to put a bow on the Dolphins before we uh, jump to a team up the coast here, Miami's going to enter free agency with $94 million in cap space. Um, Pretty loaded up. So, you know, as you mentioned, Chris Greer, he's going to have a lot of work to do before they ever get to these three first-round picks, but a team that their fortunes could change dramatically um, next year. We won't know what to really truly make of the 2019 New York Jets season because apparently Mono is alive and well in the NFL and Sam Darnold came down with it. But Mel, one thing I do know is that Sam Darnold didn't have a much of a chance when he was healthy because this offensive line was really bad. And there's a really easy way to say, well, no, this wasn't just some young quarterback who was holding onto the ball too long. Ask Le'Veon Bell about that offensive line. Because Le'Veon couldn't do anything. Sam couldn't do anything. Sam's actually probably more mobile than a lot of people realize. Tested pretty well. He's a good athlete. I mean, it all starts up front. You and Todd have both mocked offensive linemen in various forms to the Jets. Is there any way kind of a, to hide from that with, I guess, free agency being one option? But as we know, there isn't just like a stack of great left tackles hanging around in free agency every year. No, it's a two-year building process for the Jets. You can't get it all done this one season. I think they're they're probably targeting 2022. Uh, this to be the 2020 season where you try to do some things up front to get that group better. You got to for Darnold's health and his ability to get, to get confidence and the team to feel good about him. Uh, wide receiver, edge rusher. Uh, corner. I mean, they they have some work to do on both sides of the ball, but I got to believe, Todd, it begins up front. That's where the rebuilding uh, and the building of this football team has to start. And you try to fill in those pieces and fill those holes the rest of this draft, free agency, and certainly uh, next year. But I think the offensive tackle spot, if there is one, like Wills, like uh, Tristan Wirfs, Iowa. Thomas from Georgia is still there. Or Becton at Louisville is still there. Um, I would think they have to go offensive tackle there and then uh, to try to figure out the rest as we move forward down the draft. Yeah, I mean, what's going to be interesting is they pick at 11. Mm-hmm. It's the, o- the only first-round pick that they have. Joe Douglas, the general manager, grew up under Ozzie Newsom, and Ozzie was one of the best in the in the business for so many years at managing the draft either being patient and waiting for it to come to him or or moving back and taking advantage of teams that are you know that are just panicking on draft day to move up and maybe that's you know maybe that's for for Herbert at the quarterback position maybe it's for a different position but I'll be interested to see if Joe and the staff decide to stick at 11 and take a, a guy like Jedrick Wills if he's still there and I, I think, as I said before, Wills, to me, coming out of Alabama is the best offensive tackle I've seen so far on tape. After that, I think there's a little bit of a drop-off, but there are three or four other guys, and I think you mentioned all their names, that are going to wind up going in the first round. So do you move back, or do you take Wills if he's sitting there at 11? Maybe it's an edge rusher. Maybe, you know, is it Caleb Von Chasen, who some teams like a lot more than others, the LSU edge rusher? Is it... Um, C.J. Henderson, the cornerback who, who's had some injury issues and didn't have the best season last year but is has a chance to be outside of, in my opinion, uh, Jeff Okuda outside of Ohio State, I think could be the probably the second best corner in this class. So my point is, what does Joe do in terms of sitting at 11 or moving back? Don't expect them to move up. And what's available at 11 will be really interesting to see. But those are the positions. It's offensive line edge rusher, cornerback, and then I think on the second day you go back to the offensive line, probably in the interior, guys like um, Cesar Ruiz, I don't know, center from Michigan, um, Matt Hennessy, the offensive lineman from Temple, guys like that that are going to come in and be able to contribute right away, maybe don't have the greatest upside as interior offensive linemen, but this organization wants tough guys, and they want leaders, and they need that up front to try to protect this this quarterback who, in my opinion, Sam Darnold could be one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL if he gets protection. And then you obviously have a great running back in Bell. So you've got to find a way to, to bolster this offensive line in order to make this team special and to, to make that next step. 
you think back when they were able to get the two offensive linemen early, and you think about uh, where they are right now. You mentioned uh, Cesar Ruiz. I think Ruiz is the most one of the more underrated linemen in this draft. Uh, he's right there with Tyler Biotic. The more I watch him, Todd, I mean, the guy moves well for a big guy. He's played guard early on. Then he was been a center the last two years. Uh, pass protection. Great kid, hard worker. I think he's a guy that you could make a strong argument. He's the best center in this draft. And Biotage is a really good player. I'm interested to see how they'll test out when we get to the Indianapolis in a couple of weeks. But I think Ruiz in round two, if you got Becton, say, and I go back to, you mentioned Joe Douglas and the Raven connection. Phil Savage also working with the Jets now. Yep. Jonathan Ogden was the cornerstone. And he was, what, 6'9? Uh, and now you got a guy like Becton who was the dancing bear with his size. Uh, I think if you could get Makai Becton at 11 and come back with Ruiz, uh, you, I think you're coming, uh, you're basically you're solidifying potentially an offensive line at the key spots, the anchor and the left tackle spot uh, for the next 10 years. And this is the first draft, don't forget, for for Joe Douglas and Savage and this entire group. Mm-hmm. You know, they came in after last year's draft. And yep. Quinn and Williams with defensive tackle was the, the first pick. They didn't pick again, I think, until the third round with uh, Ja'Kai Polite, which they missed on. Um, and then later in the third round. So really, last year's class was not what you needed to have if you're trying to rebuild this organization. And the first two picks were on the on the defensive side of the ball. So you've got to... My guess is that you've got to really focus on that offensive front, whether it's, you know, two of the first three or two of the first four picks. You got to really bolster it. And also, it, it could be free agency as well. And, you know, Todd, you, you said something about Sam Darnold being able to be one of the, one of the great quarterbacks in this league potentially. And, you know, I can hear some people go, Oh, well, you know, we've seen a couple years. I just want to point something out. Sam Darnold is 22. He won't be 23 until this summer after this draft. And Sam Darnold has played behind a bad offensive line, has come down with mono, and maybe the best wide receiver he's been able to throw to is Robbie Anderson, who's a free agent. So the idea that Sam Darnold, a guy who's two years younger than Andy Dalton was when he was drafted, has somehow, you know, leveled off at somebody, I think is absolutely crazy. I think that there's a huge upside here if they can protect at all, if they can run the ball at all. And if they, through free agency and a deep wide receiver class, as you guys know better than I do, you know, there, there's help to be had here for this kid. Yeah, and it, it looks like that, real quick, the tight end spot with Chris Herndon, yep. and they develop Ryan Griffin because Herndon not being there. So all of a sudden now with Herndon and Griffin at the tight end spot, you got two guys that seem like they're, uh, they're working well with Sam Darnold. Yeah, and Kyler Murray, look at the last two years of the first round quarterbacks. Kyler Murray has a chance to be special, and he had to overcome a, a lack of talent. And he got better as the year went on. Daniel Jones, you and I, Mel, can go back and forth on that. He has he didn't play anywhere close to what Sam Darnold has shown on tape, if you really study it. Dwayne Haskins was a borderline disaster. Then you look at the 2018 class. Baker Mayfield was the guy, and everyone fell in love. And then and then the Browns brought in all this talent and, and got better around him, and they leveled off. Josh Allen, I know you... We can, I don't want to have that discussion right now. You know, it's not the point of it, Josh but to, to me, I, 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 really like, I, I, re, I really like Josh Allen, and he's talented, but what Josh Allen is working with in Buffalo is so much better if you study these two organizations in, in terms of talent-wise than what Sam Darnold is working with. So, And Josh Rosen has just been a, a total nightmare, and Lamar Jackson has been – He's been a surprise to me and probably the biggest surprise of the last two years in terms of the, what, uh, eight first-round quarterbacks that we've seen. But Sam Darnold has done the most with the least out of all these quarterbacks outside of Lamar, in my opinion, in the last couple of years. And has, as you said, has overcome the mono and all of that. And I, I just, I think he's special. I think he has, just mag- magician-like tools inside the pocket, and if you just give him something, just give him a little bit more run game, just give him a little bit more protection, they got a chance to turn things around and and take advantage of the Patriots now all of a sudden kind of in flux with Tom Brady and what, what the future holds. All right, guys, let's jump to the Buffalo Bills. Mel, in the first round the last three years, this team has nailed Ed Oliver – just sitting there, hanging around at nine. You get Ed Oliver. They got Josh Allen. They got Tremaine Edmonds. 
They got Tredavious White. So I think people kind of do a double take when you say the Bills maybe have one of the deeper rosters in the NFL. And it's not all built in the first round. There's a bunch of other names. I didn't mention Cody Ford and Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox last year. And a bunch of other players they've gotten through the draft. And then free agency. But it's just amazing to go into this year knowing, yes, Josh Allen needs to take another step. And, you know, maybe there's another weapon to be found for him. But, man, they seem absolutely allergic to not being really good on defense with this coaching staff. And then secondly, they're, they're, they just seem like it is a staff and a GM where there's some continuity there and they're, they've been able to hit on some things. And, man, depending on what happens with uh, number 12 in New England, it's like, are we talking about a team that's a favorite in the division right now? Yeah, they are, and uh, they are a team that's not going away any, for the, as long as Allen can play. They're not going away. And, and people talk, and they nitpick on Allen about this. That He's a great leader. Here we go. He's a phenomenal leader, and McShay's so never liked Allen. And I, I mean, uh, I never been a fan I of Allen. I introduced you to him. You never knew him until the, oh, God. the championship game. Oh, keep, you the stop tape. lying. Keep lying. Keep creating false narratives. I, this is what, the, what we all become. But as far as the whole Josh Allen thing, he's always going to have critics because the people that didn't like him, are always going to say he's not that good, and he's not—he's not really a franchise guy. All he's going to do is win, which he did in college, which he's always been as a winner, and it's because of his competitiveness. And over that, over, he's not perfect. He's never going to be perfect. He's always going to be that Brett Favre gunslinger. He's going to take chances. He'll, he'll always try to make plays that aren't there because of his competitiveness. He'll always kind of frustrate you a little bit with that, but he will win. And he can move. He can. The players love him. They'll go through a wall for this guy, both offense and defense. There's not a player on this team that. I mean, everybody likes to. They love this guy. I mean, I've never seen a team go to bat for a quarterback as much as these guys have, and that's some that means a lot. And he improved in every category dramatically from his rookie year. And you talk about giving excuses after excuses for Sam Darnold. Uh, he's so special, but he also had some horrible games that were on Sam Darnold just making bad decisions. Had nothing to do with the personnel around him. It was just some horrible decisions, which you want to excuse away, which I'm not going to excuse away. He's got to get better in that area. So to act like he doesn't have to get better and excuse it away on the mono and the talent. No, there are some real things he needs to work on, as does Josh Allen. So they both have a chance to be great quarterbacks. And one thing Allen needs, you say, what does he need? Need to, to get back to this draft, he's a bigger target. You got Cole Beasley, really good player, slot guy, and you got John Brown, really good player. But when you got to get a, a guy to get a mismatch, who are you throwing it to? Dawson Knox has a chance to be a good tight end. They hit with Devin Singletary. It was a great pick for Brandon Bead in the third round. That four six six forty at the combine didn't seem to mean a whole heck of a lot when he's better than all these other guys that, that were faster. So don't forget about speed for running backs meaning something. But in terms of Buffalo, yeah, they are. They got the cornerstone player on offense and Josh. They got the cornerstone player on defense in Edmonds. They got a shutdown corner in White. Oliver could be really good along the interior, and they got a lot of other nice pieces in place. So yeah, uh, this is a team. Like I said, they, they'll probably pick the flashier teams. Maybe picked like the Jets. Maybe will will always be the team. It's going to be fun to watch Darnold and Allen, their best friends, go at it. Um, but I think to create this narrative, there's only one special quarterback, young quarterback in this division, is ridiculous. I didn't say there was only one. I just said he has the I think chance he left to be some the best meat on the one. bone for you, Todd. Well, what you left off, Todd, is you, you didn't give any uh, any reason to believe that Sam Darnold's not going to be special, but you said, eh, we still wonder about Josh Allen. I, <laughs> my point is, what are you wondering about? Uh, can he become a consistent passer? Well, he made a lot. Listen, I, I love the guy. Like, I, going, I've, well, I've actually spent time with don't, him. I was, that, in, that, I was yeah. in Wyoming at the Pro Day. I met his parents. I've sat down and talked fine, to him. Like, I know, fine, Todd, I know like all this stuff about him. him. I've talked to his teammates. I know fine. how much they love him. I fine. understand all of this, Kuiper. Like I understand all of this. But I, I, I'm saying, and yes, you're right. Sam Darnold had made some bonehead decisions. Some of them based off of just guys not being open in the right place, but some of them just because he's young and and made some bonehead young quarterback Which decisions in, in the NFL. Well. But Which Josh Allen's got to become more well. consistent. You've got to admit it. Josh Allen has to become I, more I, I consistent throwing that. the football. I, I think I said that. All I right, said so, it. All I'm saying is for you to learn that jo- Sam Darnold isn't perfect. And you, when you were given this false narrative about Darnold... It's and not a false great, narrative. These, I'm, I, I'm saying my finish? opinion is that Sam Darnold has a chance to be one of the three or four 
best quarterbacks in the league. Fine, and I think Josh Allen does as well. Perfect. And I think when you so when you say that Great Sam discussion. Darnold is going to be special and Sam Darnold does this, you never mentioned the negative till I did. All right, let's have and a productive conversation. Then all of a sudden, then, then you, you got to the negatives. Well, after who are they going to draft? Did, you didn't bring up one negative with Sam Darnold when you were given that false narrative. All right, well, I just gave you a bunch of them. You, you happy now? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, Todd, you gave him DeAndre Swift in your last mock. I know that that's kind of a best player available slash need type. Mel also mentioned a big target, which I think is fair because Josh Allen's a guy that likes to, he's going to want to be able to show off that arm, get it, get it downfield a bit. What else do you see as an option for these guys in the draft? I think they need, I think Mel was right. I think they need a, I like that. A a (laughs) pass. I think they need a a bigger wide receiver. I need, they need a a bigger target. Um, I think when you look at it, They've got three edge players as well that are going to wind up potentially, you know, they're in free agency. So they've got to figure out what's going on with free agency with their edge players. I'll say this. Sean McDermott has done a fantastic job as a coach. He's developed players. Brandon Bean took over an organization that was really, I don't want to say failing, but they were heading in the road. They were trending downward in terms of personnel and has kind of flipped things around the last couple of years. And they, and if you're a Bills fan, you have to be really excited about the McDermott Bean combination in terms of the leadership here and just picking players and also knowing what kind of players to pick for your head coach and then the head coach and the staff being able to develop those players. So to me, it's a bigger wide receiver, potentially an edge rusher. And then I would try to bolster the offensive line as well, particularly in the interior. We talked about some of those guys, um, you know, going back and looking at the Jets, like a Cesar Ruiz, a Matt Hennessy, Ruiz from Michigan, uh, Hennessy from Temple. There are some, there's some good offensive linemen on day two that I think that you can get if you're, a, if you're the Bills. And then running back could be a spot to get some depth and move to the future and in order to get a, a playmaker. But but that again, that was definitely with, with DeAndre Swift a best player available at that spot. And I, I would go wide receiver, edge rusher, offensive line, over running back if all values were, were equal with that uh twenty second overall pick. Mel, you know what else is pretty interesting here is this is another team where you say, well, yeah, these are their needs today. But as Todd alluded to, what, what's going to happen in free agency? Th- what's amazing to me is this team has the fourth most cap space entering free agency this year. And if you just look back on the last couple of years, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Mitch Morse, you know, John Feliciano, Trent Murphy, Star Lotulale, Jerry Hughes, Micah Hyde was a nice fit. They consistently are are going in. To, you know, kind of the semi bargain bin, but they're finding this mix of guys that aren't crazy expensive, but are, but absolutely fit. Yeah, yeah, and uh, let's face it, they could have moved on very easily to the second round of the playoffs hadn't been for some terrible officiating calls that really hurt them in that Houston game, uh, but yeah. they thought they had them put away, and uh, it had nothing to do with anything other than that. Uh, to go to the point about the, the big receiver, I don't think, Todd, and I don't, you don't have to force it. If you don't like a guy that's 6'3", 6'4", say you're not as high on T. Higgins from Clemson, but you like LaVisca Chenault from Colorado, who's, what, around 6'1", about 225, then you take the 6'1", guys, bigger than the 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", guys that you have. Chenault's a big body guy at 225. He's versatile. They love to run. Brian Dayball does that jet sweep action, have Josh pitch it to the, the guy coming across and let him go. And, you know, Chenault's really good at that. You can move him around and get that versatility. So I think Chenault, for what Brian Dayball likes to do with Josh Allen, yep. uh, would be a nice addition to that Bills offense. Yeah, I, I, even don't force it in the first round, too. If it's mm-hmm. not there at 22, on day two, you know, Brandon Ayuk's got some got some talent, and and he's versatile. Um, you look at Van Jefferson from Florida, who had a great Senior Bowl week. I think he's six one, six two. He's not huge, but he's he's a physical receiver. Michael Pittman from USC has got some good size. Um, going down the line, even in the third, fourth round, guys like Colin Johnson from Texas, six four, I think two twenty somewhere in that range. So Antonio Gandy Golden from Liberty. Yeah, exactly. So there are a lot of. I'm looking at it right now. I've got twenty four, twenty four, twenty five in the first four rounds, and nineteen in the first three rounds. So there are plenty of wide receivers. If you find a player in another position, especially like an edge rusher, um, at twenty two. I would go that route and then try to come back and get a wide receiver on day two. All right, guys. The New England Patriots, 
We're going to finish this off with one of the most fascinating teams this offseason. Obviously, it's hard to really get into anything without knowing what happens with number 12. But let's just look at the roster overall and say say Brady's going to be back, and if he's not back, they're going to have to help the next guy too. And I think that's the interesting thing. Mel, this is the oldest team in the NFL right now, and that's exacerbated by Brady you know, being part of that average. But even if, you, even if Brady's gone tomorrow, it's still one of the older teams in the league. And even if, you know, Bill Belichick's going to be MacGyver on defense and with Lawrence Guy and some duct tape, he manages to find a way to have a top 10 defense. It seemed like the offense, a little bit of a, a little bit of a rough year for Brady. Isaiah Wynn being lost was a, a huge deal. And then just the, the absence of, of, of a true weapon in Gronkowski. I mean, it just seemed to all add up to a big year of decline. It seems like that's where the focus has got to be. Yeah, a lot of different things they could do because uh, it wasn't Brady. It was more of the supporting cast. I mentioned tight end, receiver, the line, uh, the safety spot on defense they could address, uh, you know, obviously D-line. Uh, there's a lot of different areas they could go, another rusher, edge rusher. So, they, yeah, they have a lot of holes to fill where this division could very easily get away from you uh, because it could be the first time in a long, long time. It won't be Belichick and Brady. And that's going to be interesting to see if Brady stays or he goes to, say, the, the, uh, the Chargers or whoever it may be. And then what happens at quarterback with Jarrett Stidham sitting there? Do they go out and get a quarterback like Andy Dalton or Teddy Bridgewater, whoever it may be? Uh, that's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out because the supporting cast has to get better as well. I gave them, Todd, Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama. Um, you know, obviously the Nick Saban, Bill Belichick connection has worked, uh, you know, in the past and it could work again there. Uh, but they have, a, they have about four or five areas they could address. Yeah. I mean, it- I said it last year. It was the first time coming off of last season that it felt like this was this was the time that it just that Brady had finally finally peaked, and that this organization, from a personnel standpoint, and and with Brady not being able to cover, it basically mask all of some all of the other issues that they have, that they they're not going to be the same. Now they still went off <laughs> went on to have a, a great year by most organizations' standpoints, but. Not for the Patriots. So they've got to have a big year in terms of the draft in the offseason. And obviously we can't do anything without knowing what Tom Brady's going to do. But assuming Brady's gone, let's just assume that for a second. Jarrett Stidham came in and played, I think it was against the Jets I watched, and they were up by 100 points it seemed like. And he threw an interception and then they put Brady back out there. And it was almost like a message sent that, that this doesn't cut it for our, for what we're trying to do. Now, I don't know where Bill Bill Belichick is in terms of his like for for uh, Jarrett Stidham and and what he thinks he can be in the future, but you have to believe that they're going to bring in other quarterbacks and and use I, I don't I don't know. Is it going to be a veteran quarterback? That that would be my guess versus trying to draft a quarterback and and move up and go get a guy. I I Unless it's like a Tua starting to drop because of the medical, and I still don't see that happening, I think it'll be a, the veteran route if Brady's gone. Bring in another quarterback, you know, one of the guys that we've talked about already who, who, who will be available, and then go try to fill some of these other holes. I mean, they need a tight end. They need a difference maker at tight end. They need another playmaker at wide receiver. And it's not if it's not Brady, then you now – get to bring in some more traditional wide receivers and and guys that maybe can work out as as rookies and and young players where it didn't work with Brady because of the timing offense and what he expected from you. And I'll tell you what. Go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned tight end. That they got a tight end. You may not have a guaranteed one. Cole Komet will see what he runs in Indianapolis. I think he could solidify it. If he doesn't, then it'll probably be a two. Jared Pinkney didn't have the year expected, but he's got talent. Harrison Bryant, Florida Atlantic, just has a feel for getting open, and he hustles, and he'll try to block and, and be aggressive doing that. Uh, Albert Okwabunum from uh, Albert O from Missouri is going to test out off the charts, even though he didn't always play to the level of his talent. Adam Troutman from Dayton, one of the best uh, non-1A players in this draft. Uh, this tight end spot's got a lot of guys that are going to yeah, be a lot in of that guys, two, but like really third range. round guys. I'd say second, third, like Cole Komet's going to be a Cole really Komet, good player. Cole Komet, I would feel good about in the second round. I, I couldn't take Cole Komet in the first round. Well, with, with, we'll see what he runs. I think he's yep. a first-round player with the speed being the question. He's a great athlete. Pinkney, 
and I asked you about this, the senior bowl, didn't, he didn't have the year expected, but he'll drop a little bit. I, the guy I, I, there's two guys I think are going to be really good after Cole Komet. And we know, and, and Pinkney we still like. But Harrison Bryant, Florida Atlantic, you mm-hmm. know what you're getting. And Adam Troutman, Dayton, even though he's coming from a lower level, people are going to bring up Adam Shaheen and all that. I think you, with, with Troutman and, and Bryant, Todd, if you get them in the third round area, at the worst, the fourth round area, that to me would be a nice, uh, nice pick at that point. And Albert Okwabunum is is kind of a wild card, as you mentioned, and and Hunter Bryant from Washington's a little bit of a, a wild card as well. But uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think you, you got a bunch of. I'll give you second round for Comet, and then third round for Pinkney, Troutman, Okwabunum. Harrison Bryant, you know Hunter uh, Hunter Bryant from Washington. All these yeah, guys, Bryson I think, Hopkins, are like that, that second, third, or yeah, third, fourth. Moss, LSU. There's yep. other guys too. There are, there are, but there's not the difference maker that you're looking for. And I think we, you know, we talked the, about. Let's receivers. say this. Let's say this, Todd. The perceived difference maker. Yeah, okay, fair. But they also need edge rushers. They could use some more secondary guys as well. So it, it's it's interesting because because Brady has made up for so many mm-hmm. sins from a personnel standpoint in this organization. And Belichick makes up for the rest of them. Or you can say Belichick makes up for more of them, however you want to put it. And that argument goes on here in, in New England and Boston all like every single day. Whoever you think was most important, you're still potentially, if Brady leaves, you're losing half of that equation. And I think this roster is not nearly as good as the win-loss record has been for the last several years and it's because of those two individuals and if you lose one of them it's going to be it's going to be real hard to make up for it and by the way you know no draft pick is going to make up for the loss of Dante Scarnecchia so there's an- another that's big, a good point yeah I mean there's just another I mean their offensive there. line was a disaster right then they brought Dante back and all of a sudden they were protecting Tom again you know yeah, and that David Andrews uh, situation injury really hurt him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, arguably their two best offensive linemen, you know, really missed essentially yep. the year. So honestly, you know, they do, you know, as is always the case with the Patriots, they do have some interesting elements that could be returning. Doesn't Keel Harry take a step forward? Does Jawan Williams take a step forward? We'll see with all of these things. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been saying this year after year. But you know, in the midst of them getting to Super Bowls this year, there was a clear step back on the field. Um, and it, the conversation can't really be avoided anymore. Guys, that's a wrap on the AFC East. I have to end this thing uh, to popular demand from the audience and our production team. Mel, who's your early favorite for the XFL champion? I'm, I think if the Seattle Dragons right. clean up their turnover issues, right. I like the over well, on that three and a half, that's for sure. It's in the D.C. area. The D.C. Defenders. That's my team. How many, how many Calvert Hall kids do they have? <laughs> they got a quarterback in Cardell Jones from Ohio State. All right. Who looks like he's got, I mean, he still holds the ball a little too long at times, but uh, he's got a lot of talent in that right arm and he can move and he's, uh, he's in this league. He's going to be right up there. It's not the best quarterback by the time the year's over. One of the top two. Uh, there's a lot of talent on his team on both sides of the ball for that league. Uh, I'd say the DC defenders win it all. Ask, ask Steve Levy. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm too busy doing watching this stuff. <laughs> Todd's, Todd's back in the lab preparing his case for Sam Darnold. Mel's back in the lab preparing his for Josh Allen. Guys, that was let, fun Let me just week. say one thing to finish oh, up geez, this conversation. Here, oh, here we go. Let me just say always, one thing. Always the best minute. Let, let me just say one thing to finish this whole thing up in this division of the AFC East. It's a fun rivalry. These guys are good friends. McShay's a friend. They're friends. We're all friends, but we have, you have a rival. And it seems like everybody's trying to throw this, Todd, is I'm Allen, you're Darnold. And they're in the same division, and we both I would like, take but, Darnold over Allen right now, no question. So, yes. All right, all right. All right. And I would take Allen over Darnold. Perfect. Any day of the week. Okay. So, so, but we don't hate the other guy, even though I, you tend to always be more critical of Allen than I am of Darnold. Oh, man, okay? you got to get on Twitter. You got to hate him. No, I'm not a hater. Okay. Haters will have no credibility. And, Todd, you don't want to go that route and be a hater of Josh Allen. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You heard me. All right. But you know what? This is like separating Marino and Elway. This is going to be – hopefully for both I mean, these organizations, we're, sell, we're trying yeah, to decide Jim Kelly them, yeah. and all those quarterbacks. Well, remember not in 83, we had John Elway, Jim Kelly, and Dan Marino. And we're not there yet with these two. Mel it's a big-time look ahead. 
I said we're hoping that these two organizations have quarterbacks like that. But Elway early on, everybody's saying, oh, Marino's the better quarterback. At the end of the career, you go Elway over Marino. And Jim Kelly's right in there with his, all the Super Bowls. Unfortunately, didn't get the win. Could have had one or maybe more than one if he would have won the first one on that wide right. So I think that's the kind of debate we're going to have. We're going to nitpick over this. Somebody's You're going to take a side on this. You're taking the Darnold side, which you always do. I have to take a side and act like I don't like Darnold when I do. And, and Allen, you give mixed signals on. But at the end of the day, when Allen's great, they'll say, I like them. I love Josh Allen. I've known him since he was in sixth grade. Hey, all right. So that's your that's your last big take. That's your minute, right? All right. Go ahead. Uh, give me your rant. Here's mine. Okay. It's a challenge to you. Okay. And Dan Patrick was the one who actually threw it out there. Uh-oh. The other day. Okay. <laughs> And I forgot to bring it up last week, and I'm glad I just thought of it because you, you started challenging me with there the quarterback go. on quarterback crime. All right. All right. $5,000 to okay. our favorite charity. Okay. The winner gets the 5000 to his charity. The loser has to pay the 5000 to right. to that charity right. based off of who has the better mock draft in the first round. Wow. It's fine so I, I challenge you. I'll actually, I'll I'm have to call to Kim Kuyper and see, you know, she'll have to like write a check <laughs> right. and sign, let her sign off on it. No, we're ready. I signed off on it. All right. Perfect. We're done. Hey guys, this has been good. I like the gauntlets being thrown down, but make sure you check out the Woj pod this week with John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Grizz coach Taylor Jenkins. They'll all be on the podcast this weekend from Chicago. Plus Woj will speak with Clippers guard. Patrick Beverly, the Hall of Famer Jackie McMullen, and the Ringers Ryan Rossillo, Todd's boy, during the All-Star Weekend. That'll do it for us this week. We'll be back with the NFC East Breakdown next week. We'll try to find a fight in there. For Mel and Todd, I'm Chris Sproul. We'll see you next week.